This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, welcome to the Red Box podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. A packed show on Times Radio today. We talked to university students hold up uh, because of coronavirus restrictions. We talked about how we can save hedgehogs. Uh, We talked about how we can save the high street. But two radically different but equally entertaining interviews uh, for you on the podcast episode today. Later, you'll hear from Dick and Dom, yes, from Dick and Dom in the bungalow, about what they would do if they ruled the world. But first, I spoke to Cherie Blair. Wanted to talk to you first of all about uh, some of the work you've been doing through the Cherie Blair Foundation for mm-hmm. Women uh, and women, women entrepreneurs. What's been your your understanding of the experience of women during the lockdown? Well, it's been a very interesting gender divide during the lockdown. I think we've seen that men have uh, often suffered more ill health, but women have borne the burden of the economic. Uh, disaster that we are facing at the moment and that's uh, for for a number of, of reasons firstly of course women are often part-time workers um, uh, secondly they're often in the caring industry and thirdly whatever industry you're in most women uh, have the greater burden of looking after the home and the family and el- elderly relatives and for some women um, trying to keep down a part a full-time job or even a part-time job and uh, homeschool the children and do all the other things which previously they've relied on other arrangements to help has been such a strain that they've had to give up work altogether. Uh, To what extent could something have been done about that? How could we have mitigated that so that women weren't uh, bearing the brunt in the way you describe well, I certainly think in the in the first place, we needed to take much more seriously, and I think it reflects the gender bias in uh, the people who are taking the decisions, um, the strain on, on, on the family that this is uh, putting, that the virus is putting. Personally, I would have seen, preferred to see a lot more emphasis on childcare and schooling, getting the schools back, rather than possibly uh, pubs, clubs and grouse shooting <laughs> i don't know what you mean now you talked about um, how uh women often bear the brunt of doing the the housework at home what, I mean, this feels like about a million years ago but i think it was only back in june that, um it, your husband tony blair gave an interview to the sunday times where he talked about how he, he'd possibly not done a huge amount around the house 
uh, despite um, uh, basically not having a huge amount else to do. Um, and, and you and the children had done a lot of the cooking and the cleaning and all that sort of stuff. Since then, since he, he came clean publicly, have you managed to twist his arm into doing any more to help out? Well, I think it's a bit unfair to say he had nothing else to do because he has been <laughs> totally focused with his institute on uh, the virus and, and best pre- things to do about that. He's published so many papers, it's almost untrue. And he's certainly very, very convinced about testing being the answer. Um, and unfortunately, we still haven't got our testing um, in any sort of uh, proper way here in, in this country. As for his skills, I'm afraid housework, cooking have never been high on his agenda, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and though he did express an interest in, in cooking and indeed has made uh, several omelets now. <laughs> and and he, he has, he has, he has opened the cookbook and he loves looking at the pictures and suggesting what we might cook. Actually getting the pans down and doing the cooking. Um, that's still just, we're just Small baby steps towards that. We need to get him on Celebrity MasterChef or something, and then he can learn. <laughs> he can learn as he goes along. Um, just going back, to, going back to the, um, the the more serious part about um, uh, the impact of coronavirus on uh, women. Do you think it would have made? There's been a lot of criticism about the fact there aren't many women at the top of the government. Uh, you know, there weren't many women, uh, even female ministers, who are allowed to appear at the press conferences. Do you think there is a problem with if most of the decisions are being made by small committees made up entirely of men that that ends up becoming, you know, their decisions end up being more biased towards men, sexist even? I'm not sure. I I wouldn't use the word sexist, but I do think that all the research in business, in politics, shows that diversity of views tend to be lead to more creative uh, and and more successful decision-making. Because if you have a group of people who are basically from the the same background, in this case the same class often, then uh, they tend to start falling into groupthink. Yeah, I suppose that's right. Is there any truth? Some people, I mean, I mainly think of people on social media, they sort of point to Germany and New Zealand, countries which have got female leaders who seem to have handled this better. Do you think there is a correlation there? I would love to tell you that, that, that there was, but the reality is, if you look at the research, we cannot say that. And why? Because there are too few female leaders to be able to make a real comparison. And obviously, some countries with male leaders have done also better than we have. So um, it, it, it's, there's not a big enough pool to make really any statistically significant uh, comparisons uh, that way. There was a lot of talk, uh, particularly earlier on in the uh, lockdown, that maybe this was going to sort of push the reset button a bit on uh, family relationships, you know, who who helps out at home, childcare, particularly if you're working from home, sharing the burden of some of that um, might have changed. Do you think that this has acted as the reset that some people hoped? Well, I definitely think we're seeing a change an acceleration to the to the idea that presenteeism, which is you know you have to be in the office in order to be a um, a productive worker, has changed, and I think that is a good thing. Uh, however, I do think that uh, it isn't all uh, positive, and that uh, at the same time, some research has shown because, as I said before about this, I hate to call childcare a burden but the reality is if you've got a full-time job to do then there is a double burden there's a double shift you know and there there are plenty of anecdotal stories of women having to get up at you know five o'clock in the morning to try and get some even earlier to try and get some work done because then they've got to balance the work with 
dealing with their children. Uh, you know, many women who go to work will have had, obviously have some childcare arrangements which have just gone. Um, we're now facing the situation that many nurseries are, are, are struggling uh, because obviously they've had no income. And, uh, you know, so will they, will they survive? Uh, and we haven't really seen a coherent plan which focuses on how do we ensure we have a productive economy that works for men and women, particularly those men and women who are parents and who are bringing up the next generation, not to mention those, who, of course, who also are helping out with elderly or sick relatives. It's like as though that world doesn't exist, and it does exist. And what, is, what this has shown us is how important it is as the backbone of our economy. And if that um, leads to more recognition of the value of the caring roles, which are often the low-paid, disregarded roles, then that would be all for the better. Obviously, you were uh, raised by your mother and your grandmother after your father left. Uh, how much does your personal experience of this affect your desire to keep campaigning on it as an issue? I think, like everybody, we're all shaped by our by our personal history and um, you know, my being brought up by these two strong women, my mother and my grandmother, both of whom left school at 14 for various reasons. My mother, because her father, who was a minor, her mother died and her father, who was a minor, needed her to look after him and his her 10-year-old brother and my grandmother, because working class uh, children, <laughs> when she went to school, finished school at, at 14. But they were so determined that my sister and I would have those opportunities. And, and we were so lucky to be born when we were at a time when opportunities were opening up for women. But I often think, what could my mother and grandmother have achieved if they'd had the opportunities that I had? And obviously then um, later on in your, your history, you, you ended up having to bring up children inside number 10 and have, even having a baby in number 10. Uh, we, we keep hearing an awful lot about how Boris Johnson might be struggling with the various competing demands of, you know, coronavirus, Brexit and a baby in the, in the flat above Downing Street. What is that like? Because it's, it's, you know, it's the seat of power, if you like, but it's, it's actually quite a small place to live, isn't it? What's it like bringing up children? No, I, I, I would disagree. It is not a small place to live because we moved... Uh, the, the original number 10 Downing Street flat was a small place to live and it wasn't big enough for Tony and I and our three children. And, of course, we had a, a, a nanny to help us because I was a working mother. Um, but the flat in number 11 is actually essentially a small... Well, a rather large house, Um and um, uh, so I don't think it's, it, it's a question of space. However, I would say that it is tough bringing up uh, children in Downing Street because being the prime minister is a 24-hour job anyway. And at the moment, of course, with these two huge issues, which is the virus and Brexit, um, it is an all-consuming um, job. And so that is... a. You know, but, you know, you take on the job as prime minister knowing that. Yeah, of course. And, yeah, you just have to adjust to what's, uh, what's going on in your life. Yeah. Uh, let's but talk... I, it's not a cramped flat. It's not. A, so wh not. whatever reason we might feel sorry for Boris Johnson, let's not worry Do not about... feel sorry <laughs> for him in relation to that. To his accommodation. It's a very, very nice house with a very big, large garden. Good, exactly. Well, that sounds nice. At least he can get out and about, which not everyone can. Um, I should yeah. just and ask. He probably can't get out and about, though, because the demands of the job uh, mean that you have to be available all the time. I mean, we used to have people coming in and out of, of, of the number 11 accommodation 
all times of the day. It just becomes privacy an extension not, of the office. Privacy is not a big <laughs> um, thing that you can rely on. And obviously, but it does. I, I was going to say it also does change the dynamic of of a, of a group because I can remember, you know, uh, that the Downing Street switchboard would ring up at, and say, "Oh, the prime minister is going to come up at seven o'clock. Can you make sure you have the baby ready and and his dinner ready? Because of course you have to. The, 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 there's no food made for you in Downing Street. You know that's expected to be done by the family. Um, and and then." you know, we do that and everything would be ready and then he wouldn't come and it would be eight o'clock and the baby would be fractious and gone to bed and the dinner would be ruined and then he'd come in and you want to say, where have you been? And then he'd say, I'm really sorry. I've got to, um, I've just been talking to the president of America. And, you know, you had to concede that that probably <laughs> was more important. That's quite a good excuse. It's, I, it's amazing that. I didn't it's a great it's excuse. Sort of... It's a great excuse. I'm, it's, a, it's taken a long time. I'm not entirely successful, as I've told you about the housework, to get Tony to realise that he can't carry on using it. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I hadn't realised it's sort of even, you know, getting the baby ready for bed ends up being sort of part of the Downing Street diary and the switchboard <laughs> and all of that. The Downing Street, Downing Street has to know every moment of the day where the Prime Minister is. Absolutely. I, I need to ask you as well, obviously, about the Labour Party. In your, you, know, you were there in the, in the dark days of uh, years of opposition. And then, obviously, what it, knowing uh, up close what it takes to get into uh, government. Do you think Keir Starmer's got what it takes? Well, I certainly think that one of the things that you need to have to get into government is competence. And I think Keir has demonstrated that uh, Absolutely clearly, you know, he is a man who knows how to run a big organization uh, and who has the worth work, work ethic uh, to devote the time that's required to it. Uh, and what, because obviously it's a huge mountain he's got to climb. What advice would you give him uh, to, I mean, you know, if you draw, do draw a parallel to what happened in the early 90s, obviously what um, Tony did, there were lots of big changes he made to the party, big eye-catching ideas and uh, initiatives to make people think again about the Labour Party. Do you think Keir Starmer needs to do something similar? Well, I agree with Keir that we can't keep living in the past. So what worked in 1990, uh, what worked in 2000, He's got to concentrate on what's working now and in particular what's going to work uh, when the next election comes and have a plan for the future of our country. Because at the moment, is there a clear plan for the future of our country? I don't think so. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
Now that here on Times Radio, we obviously occasionally speak to politicians, but we know that it's not always politicians who have the answers. So we like to ask non-politicians what they would do if they ruled the world. And telling us what they would do if they ruled the world today are Dick and Dom. That's how exciting it is. Uh, Morning, Dick and Dom. Can you imagine Dick and Dom ruling the world or ruling the UK? It might actually work. I mean... Well, some people, our kind of names have been used uh, for the people that do run the UK at the moment. <laughs> well, certainly they, so. one of your names, certainly one of your names uh, <laughs> is occasionally used. Well, welcome, welcome to Times Radio. This is, as, as, as a child who grew up, well, not, I'm not a child now, but having grown up watching you on the telly, this is really exciting oh. having you on Times Radio. So, well, um, well, it's, 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 um, there's great synergy going on here because your boss, Tim, uh, actually used to be the editor of Blue Peter when we were there. So we, we know him very well. well that's <laughs> so fair. we're all on our best behaviour. We're all on best behaviour because our boss, Tim, might be listening. Uh, now then, so, uh, Dick and Dom, this is a ridiculous sentence, but Dick and Dom, if you ruled the world, uh, what would be the law that you would change? Oh, the law that we would change? Or what, would, what, what change would I, you want to bring about in the world? I think, um, and it feels feel so strange, us doing the kind of serious uh, topics, but um, probably scrapping inheritance tax. It's always, it's always been a bone of contention, and I, I really feel that, you know, you've worked all your life You've been, you know, a, a slave to it all. And that when you've gone, do you know what? The money that you've got in your bank account, just let them just give it to their, their, their kids or to charity or to whatever they want to do to it. Invest it in the local cat's home. It's, it's just let, let them, they're gone now. Leave it alone. Leave the money alone. So I'll get rid of inheritance tax. Is, is this a full, I suppose this is the first time we've had two people ruling the world. Is this, uh, is, is there a, a split or is this a, a full, fully agreed Dick and Don policy? No, I agree with Dom on that one. Here, here. Uh, also, I think it should be uh, mandatory that all uh, care workers, you know, kind of NHS staff, nurses, doctors, all get just uh, massive pay, really. Um, well, how are we going to do seems... that, though? If the government's not taking any money, at the risk of this turning into question time, you can't, yes. you can't, if you're not bringing the money in inheritance tax, how are you going to pay the nurses? Uh, well, when ev- when every every single person is born on the planet, uh, you have to give put one pound in the in the charity box as you leave the hospital, and every single pound. I think there's something like is it seven hundred, eight hundred people are born per day in the UK. Uh, then that can all total up, can't it? Could that help? Could that help? <laughs> I'll have to take my shoes and socks off to do the maths to see if that will, um, <laughs> to see if that will add up. Okay, so you're ruling the world. We've abolished inheritance tax. We've given the NHS yeah. a massive pay rise. Um, yeah. What sort of leaders do you think you'll be? Co-leaders? How does how is that going to work in in, in prat- practical? So we're going to be the new coalition. Is that right? Well, yes. Yeah, so which of you is Nick Clegg? That's the big question. <laughs> oh, uh, which well, one's going to be I'm the backslapper? From- I'm from Sheffield, so probably has to be me. You have it? to be Nick Clegg in that case, yeah. Yeah. And what's... Am, I, am, I, am I David Cameron? That makes you David Cameron, I'm afraid. Oh, my God. OK. Fine. We, we, <laughs> met, we, met, we met him a couple of times, actually, down the street, haven't we? We met him a couple of times. Uh, one of the, there, there's a, um, a Christmas party that usually happens at Downing Street. It hasn't happened, obviously, last year. Uh, and, um, and we usually go to it. And, uh, and we met him. We stood next to him with a big chocky wocky doodah cake in front of Anton Dex singing Christmas carols. <laughs> It was one of the weirdest experiences we've ever had. Are you sure this wasn't just a dream that you've had? Well, no, it really... Actually, the reason why I know it wasn't a dream is because it was made into a TV documentary for that chocolate cake company. And we sat back and watched it. It was just so bizarre. <laughs> this, oh, this just gets weird. Did you shout bogeys while you were in number 10 at all? We didn't shout bogeys, but um, Mr Osborne did come up to us and confess that he was a massive fan of Dick and Dom in the bungalow. <laughs> 
which, which was great. He, he looked all starstruck and excited, and he started smiling. And said, "Oh, hello, not lovely to meet you. Welcome to Downing Street." I was a massive fan of Dick and Dom. He did. He went all childlike, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, very funny. This is this is the best. I don't think we've ever found out so much good stuff in a single interview. Right, let's get back to the um, the, the format. The um, hard stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, you're ruling the world. We've worked yeah. out who's who's David Cameron and Nick Clegg in this relationship. Who yeah. else might you have advising you? Uh, and they could be dead or dead or alive, real or fictitious. But who who um, would you have in your your cabinet? Who's your Dom Cummings? It's got to be uh, Gordon the Gopher, I think. That's a good shout. <laughs> I think that's the answer to it all, really, isn't it? A squeaky gopher. Yeah, what do you think, Gordon? Squeak, squeak, squeak. Okay, right, good idea. Um, But there is logic behind that. Is actually the the man who was Gordon the gopher um, ran children's TV at the BBC for many, many years. And we still, he then became head of editorial policy for all BBC audio as well. So a very powerful figure at the BBC, but we still reach out to him for advice on anything to do with anything. So he is actually our chief advisor in life. Amazing. What's his name? So his name's Paul Smith. There we are. I feel like Or I've... maybe it should be actually just thought of a new one. Now we're going down the puppet route. Maybe it should just be the puppet versions of the MPs in the, in the new spitting image. So you actually just get their advice. They advise you. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I think no. I think going down fantasy. I think the the, the cast of the Muppet Show. I think all of them <laughs> sat in the Houses of Parliament, all jumping around behind the desks, giving advice. I think that'd be amazing. And, they and do... who, who who would be speaker, chief speaker out of the Muppets? Um, that'll be pig, Piggy, isn't it? Animal, great idea. Yeah. I think definitely Animal. Animal is the one he could he could shout order and uh, bring things all together. <laughs> And, uh, finally, then, because all political careers always end in failure, uh, or um, uh, you're you know forced to resign, what's your personal vice, uh, which means you'll inevitably, inevitably uh, have to resign from office? What's what 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 means what will bring what, about your what downfall? would topple us from office? You yes, mean? basically, what, what what would make us fall from grace? Yeah, is it mine? It, would be ninety um, percent dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I love the stuff. No, People no, don't my, understand my... the joy of dark chocolate. It's better than milk chocolate. Doesn't, doesn't Jason Donovan do an advert for, for a, a brand of chocolate for people our age? Which is like, it's like milk chocolate, but it's a little bit dark chocolate as well. Basically, basically what I'm trying to say, mate, is that when you get into dark chocolate, it means you sit, hit a certain milestone in your life. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Basically, what I'm saying is, it's because you're old that you like dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> you would never have said that. When we were doing interviews during the bungalow, we were in our late 20s, you wouldn't have sat there and said, 90% cocoa is the way forward. It's going to topple me from the House of Parliament. <laughs> but it is, because I eat like a packet of it a day. Oh, I, think, I, think, I don't think that, and if in the current political climate, I don't think eating one bar of chocolate a day is enough to force you from office, I have to say. Okay, Dom, what's yours then? Have you, have you Go got on, a better Dom. vice, Dom? Dom what's what, going to topple you, Yeah, Dom, Dom what's your vice? Um, well, I, I, you can share on the radio. Sort of crisps. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is what years and years and years of being children's TV presenters uh, does to you, that you can't confess to anything worse no, than eating No, it's not, it's not single malt TV. No, no, don't forget, we've been well trained. Yeah, we're, we're not, we don't never actually say what we actually think. Yeah. Just we used to work told, for the BBC. So. We, don't, we don't say what's really in our mind. No, exactly, yeah. exactly. You're, you're clean media cut. Train. Media tray. Media tray. And that's why you were never sacked by our, my now boss, Tim. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, listen, you're, you're, you've, you've co- actually come on time to because you want to talk about, and I think this is really important in the current climate, basically the value of having fun. Yeah. It, it is, because we, we've, we've got into a 
into a loop of, of negativity and 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 not thinking about the now and not having fun and actually sometimes you need to pull back from it all and just just play practical jokes on each other and have a little bit of fun you know you know like things like when you stretch sellotape across a door frame and my kids do that to me all the time and then and they say dad come in here and you run in and you get stuck in sellotape and sometimes we're forgetting how to do all this kind of stuff and understandably so because there's a lot going on at the moment well actually right? it's been it's been revealed by uh, Malum, uh sweets that um the, the the biggest prank in this country is prank calls to a family a fa- a member or friend Prank calls are making a comeback. Well, I suppose it's because the only way you can uh, pull a prank during lockdown uh, scenarios, yeah. uh, you can do it it's from a safe distance. Call, it's by doing the Bart Simpson to mow at the bar type calls. Yeah, absolutely. And whereabouts in the country is is are people particularly good at doing pranks? Well, uh, the the number one city in the country, uh, the most mischievous place is actually Sheffield, which is where you're from. Which is where I'm from, yeah. So um, that hey, makes good, me good. Good research. Good. The research. biggest prankster in the land. How the hell did you know that? <laughs> That's just the Times Radio commitment to taking the news seriously. Um, uh, and what what are the any any other suggested pranks that people could play, particularly during lockdown? Which other ones? Yeah. Um, uh, you could you could uh, just put fr- uh, frozen. What is it? Jelly in a glass instead of orange juice, which is always a good one. So when they go to have a drink in the morning. Just jelly hits their face. It's quite a nice one. That's quite good. There's also, do you know what? You'll be able to do it all in the, in the, in the, the top of the news tower there. You'll be able to have a right laugh. Yeah. Well, but yeah, although everyone's now been told not to come in, so it's going to get very lonely. It's just going to be more prank calls, I think. That's the only... Uh, that's the On only... yourself. You'll yeah, have to exactly. do pr- practical jokes to yourself. I um, find them hilarious. And I want to just ask, because I know in the past you've done panto i mean you've also you know you've appeared in the west yeah. end and stuff as well uh, you've done lots of live stuff i mean it's a grim old time for for live venues isn't it, it certainly is um you know I, I can't see what the future holds at the moment um you know hopefully the government are going to step in and and, and help them out even further because at the moment it, it's a it's a grim picture yeah i mean there's a there's a few very small pantos going on this year but live performance wise you know still nothing i mean live, live uh, production it's probably about 80% of our work at the moment. Um, and our diaries cleared in days. It was so, it was, it was quite a shock. We've kept ourselves busy, busy with other projects and stuff, but it was certainly was out, just out of the blue, just, just the, the difference in shifting work mode. And that's, that's for us. There are hundreds of thousands of people in the entertainment industry that have been really badly affected from uh, you know, independent, independent production companies to, to channels, to stage performers, choreographers, lighting. Everyone has been so badly affected by this. And um, we just hope that by next year, you know, there's a little bit of light and we can get back to uh, slapping our thighs on the stage in the West End or uh, in, a, in a pantomime somewhere. Exactly right. Do, do, Dick and Dom, an absolute joy to have you on Times Radio telling us what you would do if you ruled the world. Thanks so much, guys. Great to no be on. Cheers, Matt. Now go and stick a plastic spider next to Tim's face. Go, go, Dick and Dom. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye.
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.